Welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL, what happened in week five. We'll also be discussing NFL week six. Uh, we'll have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. And of course, we'll finish with Jack's Hot Take. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review and rate as well. And, of course, don't forget to turn on your post notifications and follow the Just In Time Sports social media, which will be at JTime Sports on all of your favorite social medias, whether it be TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, X, or Threads. Uh, Just In Time Sports is there and available for you to follow for your breaking news, updates, and podcast uh, notifications. Now, as always, don't forget to sit back and get ready to learn something. Season 4, Episode 29 of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, Justin Jackson, and we are going to cover the NBA today. We are going to have the NFL. Uh, We are going to touch on those main two sports today. Of course, Major League Baseball playoffs also happening as well. Um, So a lot of big things happening in the sports world. Uh, The WNBA has their finals. Uh, going on as well. Congratulations to the Las Vegas Aces for taking game one. Uh, game two being when well, that podcast comes out, it'll be Wednesday morning. So game two being tonight uh, with Vegas looking at taking commanding 2-0 lead over the Liberty. Uh, and of course, the NBA preseason has ramped up. We'll discuss that a little later. But in this topic, we're going to discuss NFL Week 5, which just wrapped up a couple of days ago. Um... And what we learn a lot of different things in NFL Week 5. Obviously, we're not going to touch on every game, but we will jump into some of the things. Uh, the first thing I want to discuss is the San Francisco 49ers. They are separated from the rest of the league. And I don't just mean the rest of the division. I don't mean the rest of the conference. I know Philly's also undefeated in the, in the NFC as well. I mean the rest of the league. The San Francisco 49ers are a different animal. Now, I'm going to take this in multiple parts. Two main parts, specifically. Part one, on your left-hand side, is going to be the Brock Purdy angle. Part two, on your right-hand side, is going to be the Niners as as an organization. Let's start off with the Niners as an organization. Kyle Shanahan, uh, head coach Kyle Shanahan, GM John Lynch, the York family, I believe, is the ownership group. They have separated themselves as an organization. Not only just as... A head coach. Because I don't think Kyle Shanahan is the best head coach. I don't think John Lynch is the best GM. I don't even think the York family are the best ownership group. But as a trio, no one can boast anything better. Kyle Shanahan's undeniably a top four head coach, five head coach. John Lynch at this point is an undeniable top five GM. I think the York's top five ownership group. He don't get better than top five everything. And so... They have separated themselves from an organizational standpoint. 
they have nailed on many draft picks. Obviously, the big glaring one is Trey Lance. If Brock Purdy isn't as good as he is, Trey Lance may tank the organization for years to come. But to make up for it with Brock Purdy, which we'll get to Brock Purdy in a second. Look at how well this team was not only drafted, but kept their infrastructure in place for the most part. Yes, they lose Robert Sala eventually to be the head coach of the New York Jets. Yes, they lose um, D'Amico Ryans to be head coach of the Houston Texans. And I believe they lose offensive coordinator at some point as well. Was that Mike McDaniel? Yes, Mike McDaniel ends up leaving to be the head coach of the Dolphins. Okay, so they lose coordinator infrastructure. But I'm thinking about their players. They have the highest paid left tackle, Trent Williams. They have the highest paid linebacker, inside linebacker, and Fred Warren. They have the highest paid running back in Christian McCaffrey. They have the highest paid fullback in Kyle Fuschek. Um, They have one of the higher paid receiver units in the league as well. And But here's the thing about that. Christian McCaffrey was a trade. Trent Williams was a trade. Fred Warner's draft pick. That defensive line, Nick Bolts is the highest paid defensive end. That's a draft pick. Most of that defensive line is draft picks. Most of the secondary is draft picks. Um, Fred Warner's a draft pick. Um, you look at a lot of these different uh, talent levels on that team. They're draft picks. Um, as I said, Christian McCaffrey is not a draft pick. He's a, he's a trade, and so is Trent Williams. But most of the other talent on that team, especially the elite talent you think of, when you think of the Hufungas, when you think of the Bosas, when you think of the um, Fred Warners, when you think of the uh, Brock Purdy's, when you think of uh, that defensive line, when you think of those corners, you, you, you think of homegrown talent that was drafted by Shanahan and Lynch uh, with the backing of York, of course. And so that is an amazing job of roster assembling from top to bottom. But they're helped out. And this is kind of the perfect storm of opportunity for the 49ers. They have a starting quarterback, and right now I can't necessarily deny that Brock Purdy is a top 10 quarterback. Or he's playing like one right now. They helped out by the fact that he makes 800 grand. Brock Purdy still shares an apartment with someone. Drives a Camry, I believe. It was a whole story. It was a whole story about it. I know he shares an apartment for sure, but I think he drives a Camry. Brock Purdy's salary is eight hundred grand a year. Now, I haven't exactly done the taxes. I haven't done his take home, but I'm gonna guess it's less than four hundred. He lives in California. Um, he has jock taxes and all the other stuff. Um, I'm gonna assume he makes less than about. He takes home less than $400,000. Now, you're probably, excuse me for the um, sniffle. You're, you know, you're probably thinking in your head, man, I'd kill to make $400,000. But you guys ought to understand that he's in San Francisco. Right? He's in a different area of existence. Like, he's Silicon Valley adjacent. So, Brock Purdy's making $800,000. Like I say, he's still sharing an apartment with a roommate. I think he drives a Camry, et cetera. Um, and it was, it's a dual-edged sword. Brock Purdy at Iowa State, first of all, did not look like this Brock Purdy. I said it a lot last year. I'm waiting on Brock Purdy to turn back into Brock Purdy um, because people are pulling up his Iowa State lowlights, and it's like, that's not the same quarterback. 
I think he's going under a really good development under Kyle Shanahan, but he's accurate. He's athletic enough. Um, he's a leader. Appears to be a winner in the NFL. He definitely was a plus for Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State, I think, wins went up four or five. And, I mean, he was a eight-win quarterback, nine-win quarterback a year at Iowa State. I don't think they've won six games since he left. If they have, it's been very under the radar. Um, so he's obviously a plus player, right? But my thing is, he went in the seventh round for a reason. Brady's the end of the sixth round. I got you. But we're going to discuss Tom Brady a little later. But Purdy went in the seventh round for a reason. As much quarterback looking and developing and people who just their whole job is to find who's the next best quarterback. The fact that everybody would let him go and the 49ers grabbed him as Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft. And now he's the starting quarterback. He's never lost a start in the NFL. I think he's 10-0 and or something like that. The Niners have won 13 straight regular season games. Um, in a game, Purdy has started and finished. He's never lost it. It helps to have all those things I just talked about. The best left tackle, the highest paid left tackle, the highest paid defensive end, the highest paid running back, the highest paid receiver room, the one of the highest paid tight ends, the highest paid fullback, uh, the highest paid linebacker, one of the one of the most expensive DB because he's only making eight hundred grand a year. So, in a sport, let's say the salary cap's two hundred, there's a hundred and ninety nine point two million dollars to spend on everybody else because the most important position on the field is making eight hundred grand. Absolutely humongous bargain. Um, and I think the 49ers have to win before he gets a contract extension. Because if Hurdy keeps on this pace, let's say he wins, um, let's say he wins 10, 12, 10 11 games a year. Say he's a 12 win quarterback for the next three years. Um, I don't see them. I mean, let's say he rips off a, in his title run, whatever. But let's say he doesn't win the big one. It's hard to win that Super Bowl. Let's say he just doesn't close and win the big one. He goes to the table. He goes, look, I'm 13 wins a year. I've been in two NHL title games. I've been in the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, we lost it. You know, I think I deserve to be that one of the highest paid quarterbacks. And he goes for, at that point, maybe six years, 320. Because he's never been paid. So he's going to go all for the big dollars fast. Six years, 320, 240 guaranteed. Something, you know, a big contract. You can no longer have the highest paid left tackle running back, inside linebacker, D-line in the league. Now Purdy's going to have to make up for gaps. Because at the moment, he doesn't have to make up for anything. Anything he could possibly be deficient at, we haven't seen it because it's been covered up by so much elite talent. I mean, there's a play floating around with Fred Warner where he does four different jobs in one play. You know, it's just like when you've got that buzzing around at all times, you know, that's hard to do. Um, it's hard to it's hard to mess, start to mess that up with if you got any kind of level of talent. He's in the best situation for quarterback to be in. He's not expected anything because he's a seventh round pick. He's got all the talent surrounding him in the world, and he can actually play a little bit. I just don't think he's as good as what his numbers uh, or his tape right now is showing. But on the flip side of that, you guys know I've. I've talked to you guys about it before. Um, I'm a Patriots fan. And I said that that's probably going to be the one team bias goes out the window 
Um, in terms of just, it is what it is. I'm biased. You know. Um, I thought you guys bias goes completely out of the window. It is what it is. I'm biased, and I'm going to paint my uh, picture of the Patriots through a fan's perspective because I'm biased, right? For the most part. Um, the New England Patriots objectively are a disaster. And I wanted to try and figure out what exactly the plan was. They're bad. And, and, and I wanted to juxtapose the Niners to the Patriots in this way to kind of, you know, be like, hey, I just spoke about how the best or the highest paid left tackle, the highest paid running back, like one of the highest paid receiver rooms, the highest paid or one of the highest paid tight end rooms, the highest paid D-line room, uh, one of the highest paid DB rooms, all exist with elite talent. Because I can say, I can make a case Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the league right now. I do believe Fred Warner is the best inside linebacker in football right now. I believe Trent Williams is the best tackle in football right now. I can I can tell you that that 49er receiver group, right up there with the Bengals, and Bengals, Bills, um, Eagles, one of the best receiver rooms in football. Like, that's the best D-line in football in, in San Fran. Like, they're elite paid, highly paid with elite talent. The New England Patriots has the exact opposite problem. They're highly paid with no talent. Mac Jones is a bust. I didn't like Mac Jones going into that draft. If you guys go back and listen to my podcast when I did a breakdown, a deep delve breakdown of that draft class, I did the quarterbacks. I didn't like Mac Jones then. I kind of got it fooled a little bit his rookie year, kind of fell for him a little bit. Matt Patricia did, I think, irreparable harm to the development of Mac Jones. So any hope he was going to have, the Matt Patricia, Joe Judge thing um, killed it, in my opinion. Um, So any hope that he might have had to develop into a better player, into a legitimate NFL starter, I think was killed um, by Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Um being his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. I just think that was absolutely murder because now Matt Jones is throwing. He's fading away on all his throws. He's not stepping into anything. Everything's coming out like pop flies. It looks predetermined. I mean, it's just it's just not good football right now from Mac Jones. At the same time, he has a receiving core that has the least separation in the league. Ramondre Stevenson like a shell of himself because Zeke, who also looks like a shell of himself, is playing better than Ramondre Stevenson. Um, offensive line, which already wasn't that good, has had suffered injuries all across it. It feels like um, bad personal decisions haunting up the catching up to Belichick. Judas Smith Schuster was an absolute waste of a signing, especially when he signed Jacoby Myers. Especially when Jacoby Myers went to Vegas for basically the same contract. Um, you know, it's just there was poor decisions all the way around. I think it was a cluster bomb of poor decisions. Now, positives. New England does have $100 million of cash space going into the next offseason. That's a positive. That's a major positive. Like That's a big enough positive where you can almost justify having such a bad roster because you can turn it over in a couple of months. Pay big for a couple of a couple of talents. 
trade for big salaries, you could turn your roster over in a couple of months. So maybe that's ultimately the plan. I don't know. But it seems like I always speak about the Saints not doing this, which would just be bad for you. Just be awful. Reset your cap table. Be bad for you. Reset your cap table. Get a high draft pick. Start your franchise around a high draft pick. And then buy talent everywhere else. You have the opportunity to do it. Um, and so I, I think Belichick ultimately could be doing that. Where just be a bad for you. Get a high draft pick. Get a J.J. McCarthy, a Jaden Daniels, a Shador Sanders, or a Drake May. And then just completely reset your cap table um, with the use of void years and et cetera. Just reset your cap table. Had go into an offseason with $130, $140 million. Buy the best players you can in free agency. Trade for big salaries. Build around your young stud, whether that be your young stud at linebacker, young stud at quarterback, whatever. Build around your young stud. And so I think Belichick's doing that because this roster is just not talented. I mean, that's just, it's just not good enough. Uh, no matter what you can paint it, it's just honestly not good enough. Um, but I want to talk about a narrative, and to me it's kind of a lazy narrative, surrounding the Patriots. And, of course, with Belichick struggling, Tom Brady retired and having won a Super Bowl without him, people are asking the questions. Um, I think First Take had this. Is Belichick just another coach without Brady? Um, and you hear just another coach, it's like, what does that mean? Like, you know, the average coach, like a jag, just a guy, like, you know, nothing special about him. Yeah, nothing special about him if he didn't have Brady. And I want to debunk some of those things. Yeah, people like Shannon Sharp saying, oh, man, I apologize to Brady. He was the biggest iteration in sports. He took those untalented rosters that, um, to those untalented rosters that Belichick put around him and he won. Um, he won anyway. He erased this and he was able to turn this person to this and this person to that. And whatever Belichick gave him, he took and made it better. Um, he was like Belichick's wife. You know, they always say, well, if you give something to your wife, she'll flip it, multiply it, and give it back to you. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about in this New England situation. Uh, this Brady versus Belichick war. First thing, um, where I talk about the lack of talent, the AFC East has gotten a lot better. People also can't remember that Tom Brady played bad towards the end of his Patriots career. The defense built him out a lot. And then he ends up jumping ship and joining a super team in Tampa. And then the minute that team was no longer a super team, they went to the tank as well but people don't for, people forget that in 2008 Brady tears his ACL and creates the Brady rule just players goes low uh, hit him a uh, double player red player goes low hits him in the knee he tears his ACL then that becomes the Brady rule can't the quarterback below the knee okay Matt Castle starts 15 and a half games for the New England Patriots in that year Again, without Tom Brady, they were first and first downs, first and percentage of drive hitting in the score, fourth and points per drive, 15 yards per drive. Um, and they actually scored more points in 08 than they did in 09. That because Belichick, who many people are trying to discredit over the past 72 hours, built those rosters to be able to play with 
or without Brady. The issue is that Belichick's having issue with roster construction these days. That is not de- degrading or demeaning or, or reducing the amount of credit he rightfully deserves in the dynasty. Because guess what? He picked Brady. He trusted Brady in that Super Bowl. He didn't go back to Brady even when Bledsoe was healthy. Um, he didn't take a knee when John Madden was saying to do so in Brady's first Super Bowl win. Um, he also protected Brady with top five defenses most of his career. And if they weren't top five, they were top ten. So we are not going to pretend like 75% of the credit or 80% of the credit goes to Brady. Because if we do it without you, um, comparison, Brady without Belichick has one Super Bowl. Belichick without Brady has at least two as DC of the Giants. Um, so good, in fact, that his uh, game plan is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and so, I'm tired of the lazy narrative or the lazy comparison of Brady versus Belichick. It was both of them. I think Belichick's obviously more because he picked Brady. Um, he allowed Brady to stick around, and um, he did the negotiating with Brady on the contract, and Belichick put the roster together and all this stuff. Now, there are people out there that are offering a pretty decent points of saying that Belichick should be stripped of GM duties because his roster is completely negligent. And that, you know, Stephen A. proposed that Robert Kraft ought to go to him and say, you're, you're no longer the GM or I'm firing you. That's a decision I can back. But to say that Brady gets most of the credit for a dynasty that Belichick helped not only draft but develop, including Brady himself, um, is a bit wild and a bit blasphemous. Um, and touch on some injury news. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is done for the season with an injury. Uh, Leighton Van Der Esch is, gonna, is suspected to miss four to six weeks. He's a candidate for IR with the Dallas Cowboys due to a neck injury. James Conner is going on IR for the Arizona Cardinals due to a knee injury. Justin Jefferson also heading to injury reserve uh, due to a hamstring injury he suffered just last week. And David uh, Devon Akane. Um, is an IR candidate for the Miami Dolphins because he has an injury as well and he is going to seek a second opinion on it before deciding his best course of action. Um, and now, the last thing I want to talk about from week five is that uh, the prince that was promised, uh, Trevor Lawrence, defeated Josh Allen and Josh Allen continues his roller coaster of play. Not as bad as Dallas with Dak Prescott because boy, that was awful. Um, we'll discuss that a little later. Uh, but the prince that was promised defeated Josh Allen. Um, in a game where both quarterbacks didn't necessarily play elite, but Trevor Lawrence did what Trevor Lawrence tends to do, just find a way to make it work, find a way to play well, uh, find a way to play decent at least. Josh Allen, to me, uh, just didn't do enough to win the game, obviously. He just didn't do enough to inspire his team. Him and Stephon Diggs' beef seemed to be growing larger and larger and larger. Um, and so that is something definitely to keep our eye on to see if Diggs finally asks out uh, in the offseason. But up next, we're going to shift to our NFL Week 6 and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now 
we're going to jump into NFL Week 6. We will, of course, discuss some more injury news for what's going on. We'll touch on a couple of games, some kind of big game this weekend. And we'll have a little bit of other news as well. We're going to start off with a beef, though. So, as you know, the Niners dog-walked the Dallas Cowboys. Cost me a fantasy game. I was down six, and the only thing he had left was his defense. And he won by ten because Dallas decided to have four turnovers in that game and not do anything else. But anyway, so um, George Kittle wore a F Dallas t-shirt to the game under his pads. Micah Parsons responded saying that if we play y'all again, we got something for y'all. Debo Samuel responded to Micah Parsons saying y'all don't want to play us again. Um, In this beef, I'm on the Niners side. The Niners have become the litmus test. And they've been this way thanks to their organizational stability, along with their uh, coaching staff, etc. They've been this way about five years. Remember in Green Bay, a few years ago, Green Bay couldn't get past the Niners? That's the only team they couldn't beat in the playoffs. People was just saying, okay, that when they play the Niners, they're going to lose. And they were getting smashed by the Niners. It wasn't like it was shootouts, 27-24, 34-31, you know, Niners victory. It would be like 40 to 10 37 to 6. I mean, it was just brutalizations of what was that fatalities in Mortal Kombat land, like what was happening on the field. Um, and then, of course, Aaron Rodgers yields, goes to New York. But right around the end of those epic battles, um, Dallas swells up. And now Dallas can't beat San Fran. I mean, they are punching on Dallas repeatedly um, every time that the Cowboys play the Niners. It's actually, again, another one of those fatalities. Like on Mortal Kombat, it is absolutely brutal uh, what the 49ers do to the Cowboys every single time they play them. Um, and, and so when it comes to this when it comes to this beef, I'm, I'm on the side of the people who've proven it, which is the 49ers, as they have repeatedly um, beaten the Cowboys down, worn them down, physically just dominated them. Um at any and every turn. So if I'm Michael Parsons, I would do a little less chirping, a little more working, um, and try and figure out something to close the gap in uh, between the Niners and the Cowboys. Uh, Van Jefferson has been traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, full trade details on Los Angeles Rams trade wide receiver Van Jefferson, a 2025 seventh round pick, to the Atlanta Falcons for a 2025 sixth round pick. Um, I have noticed that that has been a popular trade um style i guess would be the best way i can phrase it um because the randy gregory trade from denver to san fran was similar it was gregory in the 2025 7th to san fran for a 2025 6th um and there was also another trade i can't think of right now that was done the same way player plus future seventh uh for same year sixth um and so it's kind of a way, you know, there's a popular trade style every year. So I guess that is a popular way. If you're basically skipping the free agent market, um, you're going to give me 32 more-ish picks in front of um, jumping the line or up for the right to not have to battle this guy on waivers and or just flat out released. Um, and so Van Jefferson trying to get a new start in Atlanta, um, who's having their own issues, their own pass catches, because 
I don't know what the beef is with Kyle Pitts, but they just don't like him very much. Although he came back a little bit last week. Um, but Van Jefferson was out of the rotation in Los Angeles. Um, Puka Nakua is a hundred times better than anybody thought he'd be. Cooper Cup is back, and of course Tutu Adwell played well in Cooper Cup's absence. And so they kind of left Van Jefferson the odd man out. Uh, he played well for them a couple years ago, catch about 60 passes, 800 some odd yards. Um, but it was time for him to move on, and so he is traded uh, to the Atlanta Falcons, who's looking to add another receiver for Desmond Ritter. And then before we get into the games, uh, the rookie quarterback update. C.J. Stroud is setting records again. Uh, he has the most pass attempts without an interception to start a career in NFL history. He passes Dak Prescott. Um, Bryce Young, not playing bad, not playing great. Uh, he's still looking for his first NFL win. Anthony Richardson, we'll discuss him a little later, but he's looking well like Anthony Richardson. Um, so those are the big three of the quarterbacks who came out this year. And we're going to keep our eyes on them. But to go into the games of week five, six, I'm sorry. Again, same rules as always. They're in Jack's pack. We are not going to pick them. Um, so um, three of these games, two of these games, the first two games we're going to talk about are in Jack's pack. So we're not going to pick them. However, we will pick the last two. So, Broncos at Chiefs to start off NFL Week 6. It will be a Thursday night game. This is a very interesting game. And it's interesting for a few reasons. Number one, if you haven't noticed, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes have basically the same stats. As far as raw production, they've basically been the same quarterback this year. Now, the Chiefs defense is demonstrably better than the Broncos defense. So I think Patrick, well, I won't, I won't say that. But I think the Chiefs defense is demonstrably better than the Broncos defense. However, it's not like it's been a massive difference in quarterback play. Like, Russell Wilson's team has been getting obliterated so much, no one's noticing how well Russell's been playing. But if you think Patrick Mahomes is playing really well, you got to give Russell Wilson the same credence. They've been basically the same quarterback. Oh, so this will be a very interesting game in terms of seeing Russell Wilson can continue his mojo and kind of show people like, yo, it ain't me. Um, it's the rest of this team. I think the Chiefs have an opportunity to end the Broncos' season. Do I think the Broncos make the playoffs? If the playoff, you know, if they were all right, no. But the, the locker room is beginning to splinter. Um, there is a, from reported, a division between guys who know they're safe and guys who could be moved. Um, I mean, when you're operating in a situation like that, it's hard to get anything done. And then you got Russell Wilson in the middle of everything, um, constantly in some sort of drama, beef, headline, etc. And so when you got that going on, you're going against a Chiefs team that has not been playing well, been looking for a get-right game. You roll into town. It could be a very interesting contest because either – a lot of guys fighting for their jobs and or trying to keep the team together or who's going to roll over on their back. Um, so very interesting contest. In the battle of the AFC South, the Indianapolis Colts are going to Jacksonville without Anthony Richardson as he has a grade three AC joint um, injury, which would sideline him for at least a month and probably place him on injured reserve. Um, not good at all for Anthony Richardson. This is his second injury. Uh, where he'll miss games in the first half of his rookie year because he set off a concussion already. Now he's probably out 
uh, about a month with a sprained AC joint, and it is due to the run style that they have. It is due to the physical is the physicality aspect of the offense that the Colts offense coordinator has put in, due to the limited uh, ability of just like being a pocket passer of Anthony Richardson. However, Jacksonville has not been smelling all like roses lately. Um, you know, they came out of a win with Buffalo, but that's basically their second home in England. Um, however, Buffalo had to travel there, try and get used to it on the fly. Um, you know, it's a true road game now, as they've seen the, as the English fans have seen the Jaguars so much that they all start cheering for the Jaguars, uh, or for the most part, cheer for the Jaguars. And so, this is going to be a very interesting game because you get the Colts who played well without Anthony Richardson the first time. Uh, going up against a Jacksonville team that's kind of been roller coastery uh, up and down this season, uh, but that's going to be a very interesting contest. Patriots at Raiders, um, the battle of two teams, both probably should be tanking, um, but just the interconnection of this game because Josh McDaniels took a lot of important infrastructure people with him to go to Vegas. Um, and so you're kind of seeing the, that lack of infrastructure in New England. It, it looks like an unorganized mess, and it could be because, again, Josh McDaniels took a lot of those people with him um, to Vegas. And also you got New England scrambling, uh, trying to figure out what is the best way to put a good product on the field. You've got Vegas who's trying to figure out, you know, got all these guys being highly paid and they can't score. I mean, the Packers – score 13 and Josh McDaniel is still making inexcusable clock management decisions. Um, like when you try to get the field goal, they end up being a 52 yard to hit the upright. Caution should have made the kick. I agree, but it's fourth and one under two minutes, uh, on your 35 yard line, you're up four and you have one of the best running backs in football. And you decide to kick a 52-yard field goal. I mean, that's it's one of those inexcusable moments. I mean, that's where like the Madden jokes come out. Like, uh, I believe Nick Wright said that, you know, to be an NFL head coach, you should, you know, have a drive, like I think up seven with like five minutes left in the game. You have to win the game. If you lose the game, you can't be hired because that makes you do smart clock management and smart clock negotiations. Um with your time, be judicious with the time off, et cetera. Because, again, McDaniels got bailed out by, honestly, Jordan Love listening to his sideline and throwing a pass he had no business throwing. I mean, it was ultimately picked off. But the Raiders struggled as well. The Patriots, we spoke about them. I'm not going to dive into them. But they've lost their last two games, uh, 73-ish to three. Um, it's just been a, I mean, 38 plus 34, was that 72? 72-ish to three. Um, just been an absolute disaster in New England, um, which is something that obviously I'm not used to seeing as a fan of theirs. But, you know, that's going to be a very interesting game. I think the Patriots actually win it. I just think the infrastructure that exists in New England, uh, Belichick's going to coach circles around Josh McDaniel situationally. Neither team is special. Um, actually, no, I'm going to go with the Raiders to win. The better quarterbacks in Las Vegas, the better lines in Vegas, the better receivers in Vegas, the better running backs in Vegas. Um, I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders probably to win comfortably over the New England Patriots and just continue New England's descent into football destruction and demise. And then lastly, we're going to discuss 
uh, the Dallas Cowboys at the Los Angeles Chargers. Two organizations. Again, another one of those connection games. This is going to be a very connected game because the offensive coordinator of the Chargers used to be is Kellen Moore. Last season, he was the offensive he was the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. After the Dallas Cowboys failed in their ultimate mission, he, to me, got scapegoated by head coach Mike McCarthy into being the reason. Uh, Mike McCarthy said they're going to be more balanced and he's going to call the plays. And to me, he was scapegoated by Mike McCarthy. So now, Dallas, after being absolutely rammed by the uh, 49ers, get an opportunity to go to uh, the Chargers and try and get some retribution. Um, Khalil Max, fresh off a six sack game, um, caused an absolute lot of havoc uh, for different organizations, uh, those Chargers. Um, but on the flip side, Dallas has a staunch defense too, led by Michael Parsons, just to name one of them. Of course, when healthy, they have Trayvon Diggs and the rest of the crew as well. But this is going to be a very interesting game. Again, I'm going to go with the Chargers here. And I, um, I just think, or not again, I'm going to go with the Chargers here. Justin Herbert's better than uh, Justin Herbert's better than Dak Prescott. Kellen Moore is better than Josh McDaniels at calling plays. I just think there's a not, not Josh McDaniels, Mike McCarthy calling plays. I think there's an underlying uh, feel of beef. Because the way the, the Jets and the Broncos last week is the fact that the Jets had to win that game for Nathaniel Hackett's career, probably, and they got it done. Um, I'm not saying it's that deep for Kellen Mon, uh, Kellen Moore, however. But if Dallas comes out absolutely wipes away the offense, uh, it could get uh, dark for Mr. Moore uh, on the sideline of the game. But up next, we're going to shift into our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. This took a small hit last weekend. Welcome into the show or back in, I should say. Welcome back into the show. Uh, well, now we're going to jump into NFL, our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. A uh, couple of down weeks. Honestly, we were up, up at about 60%, which is above the professional bettors level. Uh, we spoke about it before. Professional bettors want to be at about 55 56%. If you can hit those numbers consistently, you will be considered, or you can be a professional gambler. Uh, so for those uh, gamblers out there listening, if you're a 56, 57% guy or above, you can be considered a professional gambler. You can work as a professional gambler um, and make real money out of it. However, we've had a couple of down weeks. We went two and three last week, two weeks ago, one and four last week, which brings us under 500. We're hitting about 47% right now. Uh, but of course, we can bring that number back up uh yeah 48 percent right now but of course you can bring that number back up with a good strong week this week our lock also lost last week so we're three and two in our locks so we're 60 percent our locks but we're 48 percent overall we're trying to get those numbers back up pretty really good about the numbers this week i didn't see any numbers that i picked that i kind of was like uh i guess i'll pick this um and admittedly last week i did feel that way i probably wouldn't have bet in a professional situation probably wouldn't have bet only about two of the numbers, and I would have hit one of the two. Um, 
this week I felt good about all five. Um, didn't hate any of the picks by any means. Um, but let's jump right into it. First game up, Eagles minus seven at the Jets. Take the Eagles here. I think the Eagles are going to dominate this game. Uh, not great for my fantasy team because I have Brees Hall uh, starting. However, I just think that the Eagles are going to dominate this game. Uh, because the Jets, they can play, they can come down and play man coverage on the Jets receivers. And they're going to clog up the middle of everything uh, revolving around their run game for the Jets. There's no way Zach Wilson and that uh, offense are going to move the ball much of any. I don't think Zach Wilson as team scores more than 13 points, which means the Eagles have to score 21 to cover. Um, I got the Eagles scoring at least 24, 27 points. Uh, I think the final score will be 24 to 10. Uh, and so in favor of the Eagles, which means they cover the seven, take the Eagles. Colts plus four at the Jags, take the Colts. They actually play, to me, a better professional level offense when Anthony Richardson's not in the game. Um, so I think they're gonna actually they, they're not gonna win the game all right. I think it'll be a three. I think it'll be a three point game. But if the number was three, I would stay away from it entirely. But it being four, that, that leaves room for maneuvering. I think it's gonna be a 24-21 kind of game, 27-24 kind of game, where the Colts lose ultimately, but they cover the four. Um, Trevor Lawrence and the crew doing their up and down roller coaster this year. Um, so I, you know, Calvin, Calvin really looks like an absolute baller. Uh, I just think that the Jags do win the game, but they win it closer than Vegas thinks. Um, 27-24, Jags would take the Colts plus four. Broncos at Chiefs. Chiefs minus 10.5, take the Chiefs. The Denver Broncos have the worst defense I've seen in quite a long time. Uh, 70 points to Miami. They gave up a 50-piece or felt like a 50-piece the very next week. Uh, Their defense is absolutely horrible. Justin Fields got his shake back on the Broncos. He had his best day day as a professional. Most completions, most yards, most touchdowns on the Broncos. Um, And so, and then you're going to get Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead. Short week to prepare for him. After you just lost a very highly emotional game against the Jets. Um... I've got the Chiefs absolutely running away and hiding from the Denver Broncos. Uh, I've got the Chiefs winning this game 38-20, to 20, uh, which means they'll cover the minus 10.5 that uh, the Chiefs need to cover. So take the Chiefs, minus 10.5. Panthers at Dolphins, lock of the week. Dolphins minus 13.5, take the Dolphins. This is going to get ugly quickly. The Panthers just don't have enough team speed, which Devon Akane not being there, or H.A. not being there is going to help. But that's still Tyreek and Waddle. Um, there's just too much team speed, too much overall brain and athleticism combination that's going on in Miami. Uh, I think, again, another one of those games, I think it's run away and hide. Uh, the Panthers have not won yet in the Bryce Young era. I don't think it starts anywhere near starting uh, this upcoming week. Again, just like the Chiefs game, I think they run away and hide from the Broncos. I think the Dolphins run away and hide from the Carolina Panthers. I think they win uh, 34 to 16. I think they run away in high, which, again, will cover the 13 and a half. There's only about two touchdowns to cover it. It's my lock of the week. Uh, Dolphins minus 13 and a half over the Vikings. And then Vikings at Bears. Bears plus two and a half. Take the Bears. I was actually surprised the Bears were the underdog here. Minus Justin Jefferson, the Vikings offense, isn't that talented? 
So now Jordan Addison's going to have to masquerade as your number one. You still really can't run the ball. Uh, Kirk Cousins is either Justin Jefferson or the tight end um, throwing the ball. Now there's no Justin Jefferson. You would assume the ball's going to spread out more. I think it ends up hitting Calvin. Uh, not Calvin, really. Um, Jordan Addison or their tight end in the hands a lot. Um and so, going on the road into Soldier Field, Justin Fields has a lot of confidence right now. He has a ton of confidence right now. They've removed Chase Claypool out of the locker room, which apparently is a great thing to do. Um, and so, I was shocked to see the Bears being the underdogs here, especially at home. So, I've got Bears plus two and a half over the Vikings. Just to recap through it, Eagles minus seven at the Jets. Colts plus four over the Jags. Uh, Chiefs minus ten and a half over the Broncos. Dolphins minus 13 and a half over the Panthers in our lock of the week. And Bears plus two and a half over the Vikings. But up next, we're going to have our Jet Jack's hot take, which is going to be a take about Victor versus Chet. Jack's hot take, which is going to be based on the NBA, what we saw a couple of nights ago between Victor Wimbenyama, the number one overall pick for the San Antonio Spurs in, in this past draft, and Chet Holmgren, the number two overall pick uh, a couple of years ago by the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, both of them are in their rookie year, because you guys may remember, uh, Chet Holmgren was in a in that infamous Seattle Pro-Am game that started the Paolo Bancaro, DeJounte Murray beef out of nowhere. Chet Holmgren was in that game, or in a Seattle Pro-Am game, maybe not that one, but in a Seattle Pro-Am game, LeBron James pulls up, uh, LeBron hits Chet in the chest in the way to drive, Chet breaks his foot in the interaction, misses his whole rookie year. Um, and so he's still a rookie, well, his whole first year, so now he's entering his rookie year, a pattern we see growing in the NBA. Um, you saw Blake Griffin miss, Joel Embiid miss, Ben Simmons miss, um, just to name a few, Julius Randle, like what, three minutes in, breaks something, and he's out for the year, like, it's a growing trend with NBA players missing their first year and getting a second rookie year, but anyway, so Chet Holmgren recovered, he was fully healthy by like March, but they just held him out. Uh, for his year, trained him, got him strong or whatever. Victor Wimbenyama, of course, you guys know the seven foot four uh, Frenchman um, from well from France, who's coming over as the Spurs' future of their organization. And they went at it um, a couple nights ago, Monday night, and that wasn't a preseason game to them. To most of the veterans, to most people, they'll play, they'll get their shots up. Not the world's hardest defense, not All Star level week by any means, but. Not the world's hardest defense. Um, they're not really fighting over screens, you know, et cetera. People are working their sets. It's like live practice, basically. It was a little bit more intense. Not for Chet and Victor. They were coming at each other because if you're Victor, you're the number one pick. You can't afford to show weakness because everyone is looking for you to have a flaw, for you to be weak, to dominate you. 
Here Chad Holmgren, everything they said about Victor Wimbanyama was supposed to be yours. You were supposed to be the guy with the, the long seven foot three guy who's gonna change the game defensively, who's gonna knock down the threes, who had a decent handle for his side, who could finish the rim. Like everything they're saying about Victor Wimbanyama that made him this once in a lifetime, basically can't miss prospect was supposed to be you. Um, and so it was a battle of, hey, I get it. You're who you are, but I who I am. And that's kind of what Chet Holmgren, to me, kind of took. Like, I get your victor. I get you the number one pick. I get you supposed to be the special all-world, all-everything prospect. But I'm still Chet Holmgren. I could do all those things, too. For the most part, they did a lot of the same stuff. Both were blocking shots left and right. Both were recovering on defense really well. Uh, both were knocking down threes. Uh, both shot threes off the dribble and made them. There was three plays. Two plays Victor did Chet can't do. Or hasn't shown he can do. One was um, Victor on Chet did a crossover. Crossed it back over on Chet. Put his head down. Knocks Chet to the ground. Lays the ball up and one. And then does the flex all on Chet. Because again, it wasn't a preseason game to them. Another play was Victor again dribbles down the lane. Chet puts the hand up. Victor crosses Chet's body and ends up in a scoop left hand layup around Chet off the glass in the bucket. Two absolute, one was a bully ball play, one was a beautiful move that Chet hasn't shown he can do. But besides breaking down the game, I'm not going to break down the game. My hot take is that that's the new Larry versus Magic. That was the future of the NBA, ladies and gentlemen. The future of the NBA is seven foot three. That's who's going to decide the NBA. You're going to have to go through either Paolo, not Paolo, either Victor or Chet for the next 12 years barring injury. I love what I'm seeing out of Zion Williams. He's healthy. He's going to start a season healthy for the first time in maybe his career. I think year two, he technically was healthy entering the season. Um... You know, and people thought it was going to be him and Ja was going to have the stranglehold on the NBA and you got to go through one of them. I think it's Victor Chet. Um, I think in two years, you're going to have to go through one of them to get to where you want to go. Now, obviously, that means one of them has to be in the finals because they're both in the West. Um, but I think for sure in the West, you're going to have to go through Victor Chet or both to get where you want to go. I think it's going to be a stretch in the not-so-distant future we're five, we're in a five-year stretch. We're four years, either Chet or Victor's in the finals. Like, it is going to be, you're going to have to go through one of them to a title, especially in the West. You're going to go through one of them to get into the NBA finals. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting to watch that happen. I think they're going to put a stranglehold on the West um, to the point where one of them end up going East. And, you know, sort of like Shaq and Shaq, Kobe, and Duncan, where from 2000, from 99 to 2014, you know, Kobe's in the finals seven of those years, Duncan's in the finals seven of those years, so there's one year one of them isn't, or something, you know, it's an outlandic, Dirk sneaks a couple of final appearances in there, but from 99 to 2014, that's 15 years um, Kobe has five. Duncan has five. 
Kobe loses two finals, Duncan loses two finals. So that means 14 of the 16 seasons in the West. I mean, Oklahoma City sneaks a year in there. I'm trying to think who else gets sent there out the West. I know Dirk gets two in there. Gets two appearances in there. OKC sneaks an appearance in there. It's before Golden State starts. So, yeah. Because three-peat, Kobe goes four years, and then Duncan starts winning. And then Dirk sneaks an appearance in there. And then Duncan's in there a lot. Kobe starts sprinkling back in. Oklahoma City gets one. Then Dirk and... Yeah, so... Out of 16, 17 years, Duncan and Kobe is in is representing the West in, in the finals. 14 of those years, I think it's gonna be a, it won't matter to be as dominant as that, but Chet and Victor to me are gonna it's gonna be a 12 year stretch. One of them in the finals nine years, you know, and they walk away with three rings apiece and something like that. You know, it's just they're going to dominate uh, the Western Conference. Because they're going to come up, they're going to rise when Jokic is beginning to come on the wrong side of the hill. And they're going to both rise up. And so it's just going to be a show to watch those two. I said, I'm, I'm hoping for their health um, because I just want to see them healthy. Go at it um, for, like I said, 10, uh, 12 years. Just go at it. Uh, with no regards to anything, just play basketball and go at each other. Because that was a show on Monday night. But that is all I have for you today. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys had a great, hope you had a great rest of your week. I hope you guys enjoy your hump day starting it out with me. Uh, but this is your owner and host, Justin Jackson, signing out.